As a founder, running a business gets messy. You're pulled in lots of different directions. People are demanding your time, your focus, your energy. And it's hard to stay true to your core beliefs, those reasons that you set up the business in the first place. Warren Munson is an entrepreneur, a leader, advisor, an author, an accountant, and a cyclist. He's been through the process and done a lot of honest self-reflection of what it was like to be an entrepreneur, go through some of the good times, the bad times, and rebuild himself into regaining his enthusiasm for the business. A lot of this has gone into the theme of his book, Evolve to Succeed, The Entrepreneur's Journey. And we talk about that journey, how to build the fundamentals which protect your business and allow you to lead it. We look at leadership, what leadership means, and how you can be a good leader. And we take a bit of inspiration from Warren's passion of cycling and use the wise words of Chris Boardman and others to shape our thinking. I hope you enjoy it. And please, if you're on Apple, do leave us a review. If you're on Spotify, oh my God, there are no reviews. So please, why don't you uh, let somebody know about this or send them a link to our website. Thanks. So today I'm sitting with Warren Munson. Warren and I have never met before, but we've got 130 odd connections. So I just felt like it was it was just going to happen at some point, And finally it has. We have met this morning. It's yeah. great to meet you, Anthony. That's fantastic. So Warren's the founder of Inspire, which is a tax and business advisory firm. And I guess one of the most prominent independent companies in that area in the South Coast, I yeah. thought. Focused on the South Coast, yeah. Yeah. And you're based just up the road from Sandbanks, which here in the spring of 2020 is getting a lot of profile from Harry Redknapp's TV show. <laughs> Haven't seen too much of the TV show, but um, yeah, I'll leave you to your own judgment about how that is. Warren also has founded an exclusive membership community for entrepreneurs and business leaders called Evolve. And that kind of went along with the book that you wrote, which was called Evolve to Succeed. So which came first as the idea? Was it the book or was it the community? Yeah, good question. I think they they came at a similar time, actually, is that the through building Inspire and sharing our journey and our client's journeys, we kind of started to understand that actually we'd been on a journey ourselves, as and I had personally, as we'd built Inspire over a 12, 13-year period. And as a result, it was about, well, there's a load of lessons learned along those those ways. And there were some highs and in particular some lows. And what had we done to resurrect ourselves, to get ourselves out of that, I call it the valley of despair. Mm. Uh, how do we get ourselves out of that valley of despair? And I wanted to share that story. And so we, I started to develop the book. And out of the book came, well, actually, some of the stuff that we do at Inspire is great when we put like-minded people in together and just get them to share their stories with each other. And out of that came the proposition of the membership community, which is Evolve. So okay. it kind of all, as things do in life, they it was kind of serendipity that all of these things were happening at the same time. And yeah, so out of kind of Inspire came the book, came Evolve. So, so kind of looking at that, I was looking at that and thought, well, you've got, you're an entrepreneur, you're a leader, you're an advisor, you're a writer. And I was looking at this other comment that somebody was describing you as somebody who lights up a room when they enter rather than when they leave, which wow. I thought was a really nice way to put it. That's a lovely compliment. And, I like and I'm getting that. some very positive energy today. So so I thought you were a radiator of light. And, and I mean, frankly, all of this makes the rest of us feel that we haven't actually achieved that much after all. But the other thing I wanted to add in was, yeah, sorry, I'm not really that serious as far as <laughs> um, But there's one other thing that I saw you wrote, which you, you had as a disruptive industry leader. Yes. And I thought that was interesting in terms of how do you go about deciding you're a disruptor and what made you want to do it? And I suppose, how do you go about becoming one? Well, I think it's a it's a term I'd put to anybody within their industry that tries to think differently and do things differently and are passionate about what they do. And as a consequence, they don't just follow the norm. So this distributive, you know, being disruptive in an industry is about you know what is our industry what's really core to it how do you serve your clients and how could we be different and do things differently and don't just accept the norm 
And that, to me, is that disruptive leadership piece. But you're working in tax and accounting, so the way you're starting from, it's not known for its disruption. So mm. how do you find a way to disrupt a fairly established industry and also a very conservative industry? I'd yeah, imagine. and I, I think part of that is through personality and the personality of the team and how we build relationships. Because at the core, you know, Inspire is a professional services firm. And you're right, you know, that's not the most exciting industry in the world. It's quite staid, it's quite conservative. And actually, the core offering that we have, the delivery of year-end accounts, year-end compliance services, and the advisory that goes with it, you know, is very traditional. But what we can do around that is we can build long-standing relationships. We can really understand what our clients really want to achieve and go away from the traditional kind of approach, which is quite transactional. And particularly in recent years, and I say the last decade, professional services have come into a situation where it's about the pound today and the fees earned today, particularly with some of the larger regional national firms. And for me, it's about how can we build a relationship with our clients for five, 10, you know, we're now in our 16th year and we've got many clients that have been clients for 10, 15, 16 years. And it's about how do you build a relationship and really understand what that client wants to achieve and what does good mean to them and when you start to understand that you start to build a relationship that has everything to do with the client at the heart and actually yes we're going to deliver accounts yes we're going to deliver advisory but it's all going to be in context to what they want to achieve and I think in, in, in a lot of ways, you know, we're called Inspire, so we're not called Munson & Co. We're not very traditional <laughs> in that respect. But I, I often say to the team is, look, you know, we're, doing, we're using technology. We're trying to be different. We're trying, we have this very different approach. But at the heart of things, we're actually quite old-fashioned. You know, we are that advisor or an accountant that you might have had 15, 20, 25 years ago that really builds a relationship gets to know the client, spends time with them, invests time with them about the long-term relationship, not again about the fee today. And we do things in, in some ways in quite a traditional kind of way, whereas everybody else is perhaps just really relying on technology to drive price down, you know, to be very transactional. We're saying, no, actually, what, what our core market is, which is that ambitious, driven, business owner, entrepreneur, founder, whatever terminology you want to put on them, yeah. and actually just build that relationship with them and understand what they truly want. Well, that, that raises a couple of questions for me. So let's start with the first one, which is, have you always had that approach? Or did you go down the more traditional route? And, and how did you get to see that this was the right way for you to go? Because I think what you're describing probably resonates with a lot of people. People would like to have good relationships with their customers and with their clients. Yeah. And probably a lot of people think that they have that already, but was there a point where you, you thought, hold on, we are just being too transactional and we need to be something a little bit different? Was, yeah. was there a, like a, a Damascene moment where you saw this? There was. I, I can answer that question in two ways. There was, and there was a period of time where I think if I was being truly honest, we lost our way. So the business was founded in 2004 I'd worked for a large national I'd qualified as an accountant qualified as a chartered tax advisor really exciting interesting stuff well and just for full clarity that's what my father did so <laughs> it's fine it's, it's fine, fine. Yeah. yeah and I spent then having qualified five years with a national firm and I always reflect back at that time with that very large international national firm and I couldn't do what I do today without that time but I ultimately had you know, was working towards that opportunity of partnership and walked away from that opportunity because I didn't want that kind of life, that glorified employee position, but the way in which they were wanting to interact with the client base. So I started 2004, me laptop, phone in a desk, and very much it was about this approach we still have today. You know, it, that was the core. It was about how could we really work with clients intensively to help them on their journey? And we started as an advisory only firm. So we didn't do any of the compliance because that was my way of saying, actually, we're really focused on this. You know, we're razor focused on the advice needed to help individuals succeed. And then what happened was people started to come about six months in. We were, we were growing a reputation. We we're growing a client base. And people are coming to us, well, we don't want two accountants, please. You know, we've got you looking after this stuff, which is great, but we've still got to interact 
with the traditional accounts and to do the traditional things. So we built the compliance services as a result, but very much focused still on having that niche. 10 years in, things have changed somewhat. I think we, I talk about it in the book. I talk about it quite often, actually. I think we started to believe our own hype. I think we got carried away by our own success. It was our growth that became important to us, not necessarily the focus on delivery of the service Mm. to the clients. You know, not into a really detrimental way, but to a point where I remember sitting down, I've got a great mentor, a non-exec guy called Mike Bevis, and um, I just sat down with a pint in my hand. And he said, it's great, isn't it? We're 10 years in. I went, no, because actually this is brilliant. We are succeeding. We've got loads of happy clients, but really I can see a trajectory now where I'm on that place where if we go like this for another five, 10 years, I turn into that man. I didn't want to become... When I turned down, the when you left the, when you when left the corporate, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it was kind of like, oh Christ, okay, stop, <laughs> wait. And that was that one moment, that one kind of sip of beer and reflection changed everything because it that was the awareness that actually we had become like everybody else, or we were on that trajectory to do that. And then the last, you know, five six years, it's been great fun because we've got had to go back to get, revisiting what are we about. Who are we? How do we really help our clients in that journey? How can we really be different? We had a strap line in the early years, which I think we're just about to switch back on. So keep this a secret, <laughs> listeners, please. Is about, you know, our strap line was passionate about being different. And I think at heart, that's the piece coming back to that earlier question around disruption. If you're passionate about being different, then you can be disrupted to your industry. So, so when. <laughs> You've got to bring the clients with you on doing this. And if you're going to be disruptive and going to be different, you need to present something which they can get their heads around. Yeah. If you're dedicating yourself to your clients, I think some people, some clients might be thinking, hold on, isn't that going to cost me money? For my accountant, this is what I want. So for anybody who's in there, who's as, like we said before, that there are a lot of people who would like to be able to dedicate more time to clients across all different sectors. Mm. But the clients, quite often, their initial reaction will be, hmm, hold on, is this just a route for you to charge me more fees? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what am I actually going to get from that? So did you did you have to go through some level of communication with them in order for them to understand the value that you would bring? Or did they just know that anyway? I, I, I think it's about that discussion up front, isn't it? It's about the engagement and onboarding process. So I think, you know, professional services generally are, can be bad at this. From a perspective, they sell cheap up front and then start to charge by the clock, clock on, clock off, end of the month, a bill is presented. And actually, we often take clients from competitive firms where ultimately our fees are cheaper because you know the approach is actually what do you really need? And let's have that conversation up front and then let's, engage with you to say right this is what you need you know we you with most of our clients will start now with a strategic review now that sounds very grand but it's you know it's a half a day to a day spent with the client and actually understanding where they've been where they are where they're going and actually that's a really valuable time for them to reflect you know again on where they've been and where they're going but out of that comes okay instead of us being reactive to you if this is where you want to be in three years time we know these are the services you'll need. So this is our route to delivering those services. And these are broadly what it's going to cost to deliver. And I think that way you're up front about, you know, what somebody's going to get the advice. They understand why they'll need that advice. And therefore the fees become more acceptable. Whereas if you're offering that reactive service, all you can do is charge by the clock. And I think that's, something that makes us completely different. Mm. You know, there's other firms out there doing that, but it does, it is a different approach. And it's approach that means that actually it all comes down to people, everyday life, you, you anything you buy in life, be it a product or service, if you know what you're going to get, you know the quality of that service you're going to get and you've chosen, you know, low, medium, high quality service levels. And therefore, you know what it's going to cost and you know when it's going to be delivered. We all walk away happy, don't we? And I think you can put that into any industry, any service. Where we all get unhappy is where we have unexpected costs, unexpected bills. We sold 
gold star service and get the bronze. Yeah. And I think, you know, that at heart is what great customer service and delivering great value for your customers are while getting the appropriate and right returns for you as a business. There, there are a lot of people who set up companies, and I was having a conversation last night with somebody actually who was saying that they studied art at universities. They've created a design marketing agency, but I'm not a business person. Mm. So when you're saying that you spend that day, half day going through to understand what people need, what are the things that people need? What are the sort of things that you're looking for that they may not be thinking about themselves? Because a lot of the people who are in, in the position who might be listening to this yeah. definitely haven't had the experience that you've got. And they would only see accountancy through year-ends, cash yeah. flow, budgets, payments, salaries, VAT, that kind of yeah. thing. But there's much, much more to it. So what are you looking for in order to try and create this new disruptive service? So I think historically, yeah, people engage their accountants to get a reflective response. So generally, you know, talk about year-end accounts, year-end corporation tax returns, but that's talking about the past. That's given no indicator to that business owner about the future. So clearly all of that compliance offering is needed, but it, as I say, it's all reflective. I think what people desire and require is something that helps them understand where they are in that moment and something that helps them understand where they're going for the future. And that's where you know great management information can come into play. And actually, there's a big difference between data, as we all know, and information. And a lot of people think, and again, you know, perhaps firms out there produce for their clients a P&L on a balance sheet. But again, even if it's done very promptly, that's a reactive service. So what we try and get our clients to understand is what are the indicators? What are the things, you know, some of them financial, quite a lot of them non-financial, which help drive and predict the future? And what can your systems help you calculate and derive good output, so good information rather than just data, about helping you predict your future and help you predict future performance? You know, So the obvious one that I would quote is if you've got a telesales team, you know that conversion to calls made, grab that information and data and turn it into information about generally if you make X number of calls, what's the X value of sales it produces? And then for start monitoring your calls and your call volumes and, and under, understand, be able to predict future sales revenue because then you can make decisions about growth. Okay, so that's not so much about trying to work out whether these people are value for money for you. It's more in terms of just seeing what value they create. Yeah. And that could be a telesales team or it could just be you know, for a smaller company, it could just be a business developer or actually for the really small companies, it's just the founder who's out there trying to do that. Yeah. But just trying to, so you're trying to get a sense of how much time is spent versus how much reward. And that therefore, if you spent more time doing the same thing, you could get more reward. Yeah. And then therefore, you can start to predict what the world might look like in two years time yeah. in a way which is much harder to do otherwise. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think every business, whatever the industry has that initial indicator that helps determine what the future will look like and you, it's very hard to say what the you know, future in as you say in two years time looks like but what does it look like in a month in a quarter and i think and businesses that want to scale need to start to be able to understand that so they know where they need to invest and therefore they don't over invest or over trade mm. but they're bringing in the right resource at the right time to enable growth to occur Whereas, you know, if you're just looking on, reflecting on the past, then at that point, is that is that information or is that data and is that truly helpful? It's great to know that you made a profit last year, but you've made that profit. You want to know where you're going this year. Do you also spend time looking at the productiveness of people inside the business as well? So, I mean, I come from a creative background, so marketing, yeah. digital agency type thing. So there are people in there who are delivering and quite often you're charging by the hour, by the mm. day. And a lot of people are very bad about measuring does their quote actually fit the work which is being done and are, how profitable are they being as a result of doing that? So do you do you spend time trying to look into that side of things as yeah. well? We've gotten a great example with an agency that really was uh, in that world of thinking turnover was everything. And actually... A lot of their turnover was 
product print compared to studio time and actually never quite understood and, and again it applies to lots of industries that it's the mix generally of your turnover and your blend of turnover that drives your result so we did some exercises with them we did you know regular management information with them we spent half a day uh, to a day a month with them and we got them to understand actually it was studio time that was driving their kind of profitability and their future success and not just uh, bums on seats you know it was actually were those individuals productive so we started to drive some key performance indicators around the how many hours those individuals in the studio were chargeable how many hours did they need to be chargeable for it to be a good month for a bad month and and so that kind of utility kind of figures estimates came out to say actually really the print and product is the cream on top there's margin in that that's brilliant but actually your core business you know is selling hours is selling time so let's really understand that part of your business and how do we make that more efficient more effective while delivering to your customer needs and actually do you need more or less people in the studio to get that right blend and yeah and that's transformed that business because the owner now understands what makes his business really tick and all of us in business you know me at heart you know okay i get the numbers side but you know i don't always understand the technology side of things we all have strengths and weaknesses and i think we've all got to play to our strengths clearly because that's why we do what we do and mostly that's why we set up our business but actually we've got to understand what our weaknesses are and get the right help and the right advice in whatever that kind of specialism is needed like i say for me technology is one i mean i've needed to learn to develop a skill within marketing and understand that really well because that's how we built our business uh, but in the early days you know i all i knew was how to give some tax business or corporate finance advice yeah. and so it's been a you know it's been a journey but so i think you know there's a that old adage of you know really playing to your strengths and then ensuring that you've either got somebody in the business or you're bringing in that those services that cover your weaknesses is really, really important. Through, through those those conversations that you have, do you find that sometimes actually it's better off for people not always to focus on, on growth in terms of the number of people who they employ? Hmm. So again, it was a good, good evening last night. I was having some really good conversations. <laughs> so we're talking to somebody who had scaled up the business and just had the expectation that when they got bigger, they would become more profitable. And it just didn't work. It's something the, the costs kept going up with the amount of people who were employed mm. and had gone from you know, one size and, and actually downscaled again to a much more manageable size and felt kind of happier and actually was more profitable in that way. Do you, do you, there's another question, which is, okay, what about when you really want to grow? But sort of in terms of someone who isn't looking to try and create a massive company, do you think that's good advice that, that actually just managing your own ability is probably better than trying to always think about growing? I think, well, there's, there's a couple of things I'd say on there and I'll try and articulate them is one is that, and it took me a long time to realize this, but your infrastructure doesn't grow in a linear fashion with your income and actually trying to understand when do you need to reinvest in infrastructure? So that's offices, technology, for us, it's the indirect team. So it's the support team to enable our professional services team to deliver their services. You know, naively, <laughs> when I started out in 2004, I probably thought those things would grow linearly, but they don't. The costs go in kind of a staircase and your sales might be quite linear, but there's always a time of reinvestment. And I think one of the things I would reflect, if you're growing your business and you're at that stage, well, do I, I don't want to need to grow, is trying to work out what your capacity is. And then work out with the team I've got, with the infrastructure I've got, is that what makes me happy? Because I think there's this other thing in in business and I, I've, I've tried to fight against it all the time is there's a lot of advisors out there that just say it's growth and exit, growth and exit, growth and exit. And that's, excuse me, it's bollocks <laughs> because we all start our business for different reasons. And if we understand what we want and we remember that focus, that passion, that belief we had, when we start our businesses, we'll work out what good looks like for us. And good can be 
actually, I'm, it's me and a team of six. I'm really happy. I've got the lifestyle I want. It produces the income to make my family feel secure. And actually, I can sustain this and I can sustain balance in my life. For others, it is. You know, I want a team, you know, they want a team of 200. They want the business to grow. They want it to be international and they want to exit. But I think it's about understanding what really good means for you. And that comes back to that question around actually if you work out what your capacity is and you work out when your next step changing costs are you can then make the positive decision to either grow or the positive decision to say actually no i'm comfortable right now this is where i want to be but you've still got to understand that cost base and what it can deliver for you and what the capacity your business can generate is so, well that that links in really nicely with what you put in the book actually kind of how the book starts because you talk about the entrepreneurial journey yes and i was just interested what does that look like what does the journey look like? how do you think when you're there and you're at an earlier stage i mean and presumably if you've got this step case of growth then actually that journey probably is changing all the time as you as you yeah. surmount different barriers that you have to yeah. get over and i suppose when do you well, to, well just tell me a little bit about what that journey yes. looks like and, <laughs> so this journey so from advising lots of business owners entrepreneurs and my own journey i kind of when i was writing the book i started to reflect what are the stages in in my journey and did that reflect others and found that it did and i think you have this clearly you have the startup phase you have this phase where everybody is it's either you or you and a couple of people and you're really focused on what you want to achieve. You've got energy galore and off you go. And you need that energy because that's a really tough time. But actually, the hurdles that you overcome there are usually done by the commitment of a very small team. And if you go through that startup phase, you get into this period of what I call frantic success because you are then really focused on your customer needs Customers are coming knocking on your door. You're delivering your product and service. Again, your team's now probably, you know, depending on the industry, but it could be, you know, four to 12 people. Everybody's really passionate. You as the leader, as the founder of the business, is at the heart of everything. And your energy, your passion disseminates in the team. And that generates this period of frantic success. And through that, the business grows, the business starts to succeed. But are you really investing in the business at that point, or are you just spinning plates? And I think one of the challenges for us all in business, and you know, one of the lessons I'm learning as we develop Evolve alongside Inspire is actually to do this do this one differently. I'm sure some mistakes still and will be made, but you know, do this one differently because I think with Inspire it was all about actually we didn't invest enough. We didn't recognize that we needed systems and we needed processes and we needed all of those things. So that period of frantic success you know, it's driven through the passion, but actually the wheels can start to come off if all you think about is growth and you don't think about the infrastructure, the systems, the processes, the people playing to your strengths and all of those things. And I also think as a business succeeds, particularly owner managed businesses, you are in danger of getting into this place of distractions. And I talk about that in the book where actually you do start to believe your own hype somewhat. You know, you think you can walk on water. And those distractions can lead to a few things. Some of them are that actually I can walk on water. I can go and invest in this. I can go and do that. I can, And all of a sudden you forget about your core, the thing that you had in your heart when you started the business. Mm. And if you do that, you know, unless you've put in place a really strong management team, it's way too early to do that. And that can be to the detriment of that business. Or, you know, the probably the more regular one though is, and, and it's not through greed or want or desire is that you typically start the business with a very low need for income but as the business succeeds time goes on your need for income grows and then actually that distraction of actually having to you probably moved house new car kids at school all of those things start to happen and actually the pressures on the business to generate profit can be compromised via doing the right thing and that can become a huge distraction because all of that enjoyment you had, because you had, you know, you were doing things for the right reason, you start to focus on the money. Okay. So you get caught up in the lifestyle, both in and outside the business as well. Correct. Yeah. And, and it, I, I, again, it's one of the th things I say, I think if you purely focus on the money, the profits, the rewards, it's really unusual for that 
money and that profit to come in a sustainable fashion. You might have a good year, good 18 months, but long term, you're probably making the negative decisions that damage the business. Mm -hmm. You focus on creating a great business with the right infrastructure, the right people, the right systems, and importantly of all, looking after the clients and delivering to the client's needs. And actually, as a consequence of that, the financial returns come. Okay. So, and I think that's you know, through through those distractions. And I think a lot of business owners out there can get to that period where they're in that kind of valley of, I call it the valley in the book, I call it the valley of despair. And in 2014, I was definitely in that place myself, was you become, why am I doing this? What are we doing it for? Am I in the place I expected to be? And from the outside world, everything can look extremely successful, but deep down the business owner is in that place of despair. And I think that's where you can quickly wallow in that space. And in fact, unfortunately, when you talk to a lot of business owners, they can become dissatisfied because they've found themselves in that despair and they haven't got the energy or haven't got the passion or to just find a way out. But at some, way you've, at some point, if you're in that place, I think you've got to rejuvenate yourself. You, you talk a bit about ambition and spirit and belief, and yeah. I want to come on to that in a second. But, well, two things before I do. Also, you talked about management teams, so I don't want, I want to come back to that. But before we do any of that, then you're a little bit about Warren Munson, the man, oh. uh, and what it is that distracted you in those kind of 2014 years. And so I hear you're a bit of a cyclist. I am. Yeah. Okay. So in recent years, yeah, very much got into cycling and yeah, and I, I think, well, that was about 2013, 14, actually. So I think that was probably one of the things, them and the two girls and my wife were things that, the, probably the things that saved me, really. Okay. Yeah. So are you really a dedicated cyclist? Do you, do you kind of gorge on cycling literature and kind of read up on books about Chris Froome and, you know, whoever? I, I, I'm very passionate about it and I will read and I will, you know, magazines galore and books galore and but actually for me it's about the actual getting out there in the fresh air getting on a bike going exploring and every year trying to work out and have a kind of mini adventure so this year hoping that we're there's sort of three of us that ride together we're hoping to ride uh if i hadn't broken my collarbone we definitely would have been doing it broken collarbone falling off a bike how apt is that? But uh, we were going to start at the Atlantic coast of the Pyrenees and ride the whole length of the Pyrenees down to the Mediterranean coast. So, Ooh, wow. so that was going to be this year's adventure. And hopefully, come September, we'll still be able to do that. But, you know, for the last six, seven years, there's always been something to kind of focus on that's just okay. Let's put things in perspective. And actually, for me, getting on my bike makes me stop, think... And just reflect a little bit. Mm. Well, I, I was also thinking, you know, cycling, sports. Sports is quite often used as an analogy for business. Quite often, you'll see that there are sports people who come in as motivational speakers. Yeah, I think I think there's subtleties and differences in them. I think sports is probably a bit more single-minded in business. You've got to be a bit wider. But I haven't let let that stop me from coming up with some cycling quotes okay. to help frame some questions. <laughs> okay. Just so it's not all business because we're not all business. We have it's other things great. to be thinking about. So given what you've said, I'm not going to try and judge you uh, uh, and ask you to tell me who Tess said the quote. That's okay. So, okay. so I, just, I just thought kind of given that whole entrepreneurial uh, journey, there was something that came from Chris Broadman who says, by now we have learned that game-changing ideas do not come from experts. They come from people who haven't got a clue and ask stupid questions. <laughs> Which brings me on to the management team thing that yeah. you talked about earlier on. Okay. So when do you when do you feel you need to have a good management team in place? And how do you know that that's the right time to do it? And, and who should you have? I think from the very early days, you should start to... It's, it comes on to one of the challenges. But I think from the very early days, if you build the team, you need to build the team that will take responsibility for the business day in, day out. And you've got to learn to be able to delegate to that team. And, and you know, up, up until 2014, that was one of the things that I was getting wrong. You know, I, I wanted to be in control. I was that control freak. I was taking months and years of therapy to be able to say that, but I was that control freak. And, you know, we had good oh, well, people. Well done. You've done really well. That's good. It was worth it. It is, yeah. yeah. So, you know, but I was that individual that, wanted to be in control. So I had good people around me, but was I letting go enough? Was I delegating to them? Was I letting them play to their strengths so that I could play to mine? And the answer, frankly, was no. So, but I think, 
you know, and around Evolve and what we're doing differently there to put it in perspective is about, right, what do I really need to be doing? And I think early in the early days of a business, as you're growing that business and you're trying to scale that business, it's really important to say, well, where do I make a difference? And where do I need help and assistance? And do I need to do everything? And then you start to build a team around you that can do the things you don't need to do. And I think that's the very first step in building a management team. Now, one of the challenges is that the people you employ in those early days might not always be the people that will take you to your final destination. And I found that, personally, I found that really tough because I love, love our team, I love our people. And, you know, some people have moved on over the years that were great for the business and they were great in those early days but they weren't going to get us to our final destination. And I found that tough to go through that process. But so that's one of the things I would say is, you know, build that team, but build the team with a view to the future and recognize when you're, when certain individuals are outgrowing, it's going to sound harsh, but are, you know, the business is outgrowing them. And then how do you continue to upskill to get to that point where the management team is what you need? And eventually if you get, if you're a sufficient size, then actually you'll have, you know, a key person in each of the disciplines within the business and you'll be taking that umbrella, you know, umbrella view of everything that's going on. But still, for me, you see, I love the client delivery. I love sitting in front of a client. Um, I love having conversations, as you hopefully can tell from this one. And as a result, maybe in most professional firms when they get to, you know, 50 individuals, which we are, the managing partner founder director isn't involved in day-to-day delivery whereas actually predominantly that's within inspire that's where i spend my time because i know that's where i can add value and that's where i want to be and then we've built a management team that can look after the day-to-day business so who would you say are the key people that you need to have in a good management team uh, and are they always working in the business or do you does that include people who are maybe non-exec directors people who are advisors and you talked about your yeah. mentor earlier on i i think you need so it depends on your size, isn't it? I, th- I think the key person in the early days is somebody looking after the operations. So somebody that's actually, as you grow the business, and, is, and people in business will recognize this, is there's a lot of day-to-day noise and day-to-day distractions. And actually having that critical person that is that right-hand man, right-hand girl, that can actually deal with the operational side of the business and that day-to-day noise is really vital. So that was, I think, in any business, that's appointment number one for me. Because if the person with that spirit and that entrepreneurial beliefs is drawn into the day-to-day detail and isn't focused on client service, product development, and all of the things that are important to push the business forward, then you're going to stall. And presumably that helps you to step outside of the business as well because you haven't got to worry about those things which can take up a lot of your time yeah. otherwise. Yeah, you either end up working crazy, 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 crazy hours at the detriment to your life outside of the business, which isn't a great you know place to be, or, yeah, you, or you're not doing the things you need to be. So I, I think that getting somebody that can deal with the operations side is really important. I think then... I suppose I come and I feel like I am repeating myself a little, but it's about where are your weaknesses. So for me, I can, you know, the finances was always going to be strong. I, I It didn't need anybody really to look after the finances for Inspire, but I did need somebody to come in and help develop our marketing and our technology and all of those kind of things. And then eventually, you know, you, in a product business or a sales a service business, you're going to need somebody that's focused on the sales side of the business. But again, enabling you to play to your strengths. So I think you've just got to, once you've got the operations covered, where do you need help and expertise and um, build those roles into the business first before you get that overall coverage? And then touching on that, I think there's always value in having an outside perspective. So be that a mentor be that a non-exec director. For me, you know, it was really important when we developed Inspire and Andrew and Chris came on as directors and shareholders in the business that my dominant voice wasn't the only voice heard. So that was the point we brought in Mike as our non-exec chair so that when we have meetings between us as, you know, directors and then 
you know, a different level of meetings of shareholders, then somebody was there chairing those discussions. So everybody had a voice, which I think is really important. And I think that's the value that outside perspective can add. That's such an interesting point to, to, yeah. So I suppose it kind of links to something else that you talked about earlier on in terms of when you are growing and that's the fact that the people who you start with aren't necessarily going to be the people who you need to get to where you want to go. But given what we were talking about earlier on in terms of do you grow, do you shrink, when do you go, was there a moment, is there a moment that people have that, it feels like a kind of pivotal moment where you have to decide what sort of company you want to be? Mm. Because you know, there are a lot of very successful and happy uh, lifestyle businesses. Yeah. And, and, and that, that works success. for a lot of people. And, and, I, that and that is that's success. what I said earlier. I think that but people knock that. But that is success. Yeah. That's what you started your business to achieve. Mm. And you get to that point. Great, awesome. That that's what you wanted to do. You know, cherish that. But did you find that for you there was that moment when you thought that's not what I want to be, and I'm gonna have to bite the bullet, and I and it's gonna get a bit messy, and I am gonna lose some people. That, that was that a conscious decision you made, or it just happened, and then that's why you had to create that infrastructure around you. The conscious decision happened in that discussion over a beer with Mike, two thousand and. 14 that said actually we're on a trajectory now i'm not happy this isn't what i set out to achieve it's great we're successful to the external world this you know we're succeeding but deep down i'm in here for for a different purpose to get to a different place and we need to just turn left instead of turning right and that was my conscious point where i thought right how first off how do i have to change and then once i understood how i had to change and how I could find my passion again. What did the business need to look like? And who did we need on board? And what was the journey we we're going to be on? And from that point, we've gone into a process of setting three-year plans. So we set a plan through to 2017, through our year in June, so then through to June 2020. And we're just resetting the, I've set the plan now to June 2023. And for us, that gives us that opportunity to say, where are we now? Um, for us, I think we think a three-year window is sensible. Where do we want to be in three years? Are we all, you know, from shareholders, directors, senior leadership team, and ultimately the team, are we all happy that that's where we're going? Right, that's where we're going. Let's just get on and, and build the business together. Because you talk about ambition, essence, spirit, and beliefs. Yeah. And I just want to do, how do you, how did you go about the practice of, of, defining that physically did you how does one decide what that is do you is it going in the room with other people to talk about it is it you just thinking that out and blatting it out on a bit of paper and is that something that goes into that plan review that you yeah. do and are you updating it all the time yeah so that really interesting so that the initial pass of the kind of ambition essence spirit and release to inspire i did with a sort of piece of paper pen and then did some kind of I suppose you call it a workshop with the directors and then we did it with the team and just made sure that perhaps the words that I felt were truly reflective of what we were as a business. So I think in, you know, we're a small owner-managed business. And I think for a small owner-managed business, if you can get in tune with that focus, passion, belief you had when you started the business, then I think you can largely, should largely determine what that essence, spirit and beliefs are, because actually that's what drove you to do what you do. And that's what drove the initial success, that intuitive kind of growth. But you need to check in with the team to make sure, you know, are you smoking your own dope or is this true? And is is this truly reflective of who we are and what we are and who we want to be? We've, we did that exercise. And actually one of the things that we're doing and one of the things we've great, that's really improved our business in the last 12 months is we've brought in a full-time HR uh, manager, Liz, and she rightfully challenged as we're going through the 2023 planning process. Okay, I get the essence, spirit and beliefs, but are we sure they're the right words, the right things, the right things to focus on? And do the team still believe in them if this is where we're going in the next three years? So she's making us reevaluate and rethink and go back and do those exercises with the team, which we'll be doing over the next three to six months, which mm. I, I don't think I would have done without somebody sort of waving the flag. So uh, to answer your question, I do think you need to reflect on them, but only through recent experiences and somebody holding the mirror up. Okay. And, and bringing your team invo- into that is a really definitely. important part of that At as well. At this stage, definitely. I yeah. think when you first set them, I think you've got to take it from your heart 
Um, or if you're, you know, multiple founders, owners, then it's got to come from that core team. Um, because you've, you've got to make sure that you as the founder owner are delivering to those essence spirit beliefs, those value sets. That's interesting, especially when there are multiple founders that you, do you find that when you're going in and you're working with your clients that sometimes you unearth difference of opinions because that hasn't really been addressed properly to begin with? Yeah, I think you, I think you do, but I I think it falls kind of a couple of ways. I think sometimes you can realize that we all change in life, don't we? So you can be 10 years into a business and you might have started a business in partnership with somebody, but you, you realize 10 years on, you've grown up and you've got a different value set now. And we see those situations. We help our clients through some of those situations and you still need to face up to them. The, the easy decision is just to live with it. The hard decision is go and do something about it. But and I, sometimes that might mean actually diverging interests because yeah. like you say, you start at the same point, 10 years yeah. later, people change. And, mm-hmm. and acknowledging that is not a bad thing. No, you've got to acknowledge it as long as you deal with it. Hiding from it, yeah. which unfortunately can happen, is really dangerous because neither founder is happy. If they're not happy, the team's not happy. If the team's not happy, the clients aren't happy. And you seem to be, you'll find yourself, if you're not careful, on a very slippery slope, I think. But you can also, by with those same founders, sometimes you have the situations, and through the strategic review process we do with our clients, we've had a couple of these, which are, they think they're apart, but actually it's because they don't talk enough about the right things. You put them in the room together, you get them to do the reflective on where they've been, where they are now and where they're going. And actually, they start to understand we really are aligned here and we're still a strong team. And we had one scenario where these two partners came in to the room to do the strategic review and they both thought the other one wanted to sell the business. So they sat there and it was, it was a quite an edgy atmosphere and because and neither of them wanted to sell. But they sat with the tone, well, you know, we're going to exit, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And we took them through the exercise and Helen, who manages our strategic review process, did that with them. And the outcome was they both switched on to being honest with each other that actually they still had a real passion for the business. They wanted to grow it. And the sense of relief and energy that appeared in the room because they actually realized they were aligned even when they didn't think they would. So I think that's that's one of the things is if you've got a, and through experience and seeing it, if you've got a business partners in the business, then spend time with them and communicate honestly with them mm. and actually realize, are you or aren't you aligned? Yeah. Um, because I think it can have a really, clearly a really positive or negative impact on the business. So another point that you talk about is personal development and about yeah. leadership. So Lance Armstrong yeah. says, motivation can't take you very far if you don't have the legs. And that, that probably actually addresses the stuff that we've talked about in terms of just yeah. making sure that you've got the legs in your business. Victoria Pendleton says, it really is all about believing in yourself, 80% mental, 20% physical. So how important is it to be a strong leader? And what does strength actually mean? Wow, that's a good question. I think if you, that leadership piece, first off, I think is about being consistent. I think absolutely. I think so. I think strong leadership is about consistency, being open, honest, frank, with the good, the bad, the ugly, and communicating that in a meaningful way to the team. I think you've got to have this strong sense of purpose and the reasons why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and again, share those with the team. And I, I, I think they are the, some of the, the attributes that I think, particularly in an owner-managed business, I think it might be slightly different when you talk about a larger business, but in an owner-managed business, being consistent, you know, showing up on a con- consistently in the same manner, having that vision of the future, communicating it well, and actually being present with the team is really important. Mm. Do you think it's possible to be, I suppose, at heart an introvert and be a leader as well? Do you see the people who you talk to are predominantly able to have that ability to communicate with people well? Or or actually, if you just employ lots of introverts, actually, that still seems to work. So if you think about some of the, yeah. I don't know, some of the, the more techie end of things where people are actually more happy with their headsets on and just coding away all day uh, so that actually they want if you're if you're a rumbustuous leader actually that could strike the wrong tone in yeah. the team does it does it can it work that way or i think you yeah i think you've got to try and 
I think there's a thing around the leadership piece about matching the energy of your team. It prob probably starts mm. to answer your question, but I think it's people, but again, particularly in an owner managed business want that vision and they've got to have belief in the leader and in, in the belief in that the leader has a passion for what they're doing. And I think that's far more important than having that large personality. Yeah. So I think an introvert can definitely lead a successful own a managed business as long as they have the belief and the passion in what they're doing and that that is shared and communicated with their team and that their team however introverted they may also be show that individual showing up and demonstrating that focus passion and belief day in day out yeah i think that's far more per important than that large kind of personality so just being able to be there being present being part of the business people yeah. being able to see and being approachable as well maybe yeah absolutely yeah. yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about the, the sort of business fundamental side of things as well. But I think we've actually talked quite a lot about that already. Great. It's lovely having a plan and then completely ignoring it. <laughs> well, that's uh, what a great conversation is all about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I was just wondering, is there, I suppose, is there anything else, you know, particularly given the, the life outside of being an entrepreneur as, a, as an accountant, is there some things where you feel when you come into a business that, I know one or two things that people consistently fail to really address and fail to think about, which if they did could make their lives a lot better. And in that kind of broader piece, especially when you're talking about the sort of conversations, sort of relationships that you have with clients, are there things that you recognize consistently that people fail to do? I mean, you talked about the ability to be able to help them sort of with the teddy sales example so that in terms of really being able to plan is that is that a common thing or are there other kind of more fundamental things that people just miss the short answer is i don't think there is one size fits all i think every business is unique every business is different i think there is certain steps that can be put in place that help success you know and from putting an accountant's hat on you know the really basic one is actually you know having a plan as to what your cash flow looks like for the next 12 weeks rolling. You know, there's so many businesses that don't do that, but if you can't predict where your cash is going, mm. then actually you can't, you know, on a positive side, you can't have those discussions about how can we reinvest back into the business. And on, from a negative point of view, if it shows a shortfall of funding, then you can't have the conversations with your funders, your investors or your shareholders or your bank about how can we get more cash in the business to continue the path and trajectory we're on. So I think there's, from an accountant's point of view, I think that's number one for me, even before producing management information, is actually understanding your cash and understanding your cash generation model, because that is fundamentally different. You know, cash and profit, we think are the same, but they're completely different things. And if you've got a business where your you know, customers and clients pay you up front, that's great. That usually can fuel growth. But at some point, you've got to deliver the services that they've paid you for. And then that's the point at which the costs come. In other businesses, you know, you're providing all of the service of the product up front to get paid. And in some cases, in some industries, 90 days later. So you've really got to ensure what pace have you got your foot on the gas pedal to be able to grow at the pace you can fund that working capital. Mm. So I think there is a fundamental, if I'm coming at it as an accountant, is actually understanding your cash generation model and understanding how that translates and then putting some reporting mechanism in place to cover it. That, to me, is a fundamental that every business should do. And the cash generation model is just basically how do people pay you? Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. And, and, At what point do you pay your suppliers? What point do you pay your staff? What point do you receive the cash into okay. the business? Yeah. So, I mean, increasingly I keep hearing about people who aren't being paid. And there's a lot of late payment as well. Yeah. Is there anything that you can do to try and alleviate that, re reduce the risk of that happening? The businesses that I see that are, that manage cash well do have somebody in the business that is solely responsible for credit control. And for a small business, it might be somebody, you know, they might outsource that. It's a great thing that they might outsource to an agency of some form. Although I don't like, personally, I don't like that because you lose control of that client dialogue and that customer dialogue and you've got to understand why your client may not be paying you and if there's legitimate reasons for that, how can you help and support them to get to the point where they can pay you? And I think if you've outsourced that, then you've lost control of that dialogue. But they might just employ somebody part-time one day a week 
or they've got somebody full-time in the business that is managing that cash. Because maybe I'm a believer in human nature, but I don't believe people buy product, buy service, not expecting to pay for it. Um, but usually it can be a case of who shouts loudest first gets paid. Mm. And if you've got somebody that knows how to communicate, that actually, you know, the business we we see doing it well will send their invoice at the end of the month, seven days before it's due to be paid. They'll make the call to say, look, did you get the invoice? Was everything okay? Is there anything you need to know? Is it in your payment run? You know, really helpful, kind of nearly a customer service type call. Mm -hmm. But they understand before it's due, whether it's going to be paid or not. And if there is, you know, a dispute on that invoice, they are understanding what it is and they can deal with it from a customer satisfaction perspective. Whereas those that manage it poorly wait till it's 30 days overdue for payment and start that dialogue. Yeah. And if there's something negative gone on, that's then gone on 60 to 90 days before and therefore perhaps the relationship is dead. Well, I think people are very worried about rocking the relationship yeah. a bit too much, but you feel it's perfectly on, on day, well, is it day 31 or is it actually day 23? I think um, it's day 23. Okay. Because I, but I think if it's done in the right way, <laughs> we all, you know, I've had those calls from credit control individuals that, you know, they're seen as the ogre. But I think, as I say, those that do it well employ somebody that's got enough of a, human personality and empathy to actually have the dialogue and actually come at it from a different perspective. So it could actually be your account managers or clients yeah, control okay. people rather yeah. than necessarily being the accounts department who may not be quite as fluffy as the people who are just used to yeah. chatting with clients. And It can be. There is a danger there that particularly if it's probably the salesperson, they're looking for the next sale, aren't they? And therefore, they're going to be too fluffy. Okay. There yep. is a balance. <laughs> yep. And if they're too fluffy, then it just goes past to one side. And then you sell to them again because the salesman wants to sell. Yeah. That's what these jobs to do. And then all of a sudden, you, your problem's not a 10K problem. It's a 20K problem. So I think there is a balance. There. Yeah. But okay. somebody's got to have responsibility in the business for credit control. And <clears throat> there's got to be time dedicated to it. So... If it was your account manager or it's your financial controller, they should say, right, this day in every single month is my credit control focus. Okay. But I prefer that you have somebody that comes in regularly to do it because it's an ongoing dialogue. It's not a once in a month kind of exercise, really. So I wanted to ask you about competition. Yeah. I've got some great quotes. Okay. Chris Froome. No, it's actually it's not. It's about him. And I thought it was very apt, given the fact that you'd just broken your collarbone. <laughs> and, and so you're kind of in, in line with I laugh with, now. I was crying six yeah. weeks ago. <laughs> so Chris, it says, Chris Froome just body-checked Aru. Just put him into the fans as he tried to move by. And then somebody else, uh, Ned Bootling, said, you don't mess with Chris Froome. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Getting a picture coming across Mine was here. a pothole, not Chris yeah, Froome. No, okay. <laughs> so... I was. Th should you be worried about your competition? So if you've got a Chris Froome kind of who's operating, you know, you're working in a very busy environment, you know, yeah. you've got a lot of comp competitors. How much time did you spend looking over your shoulder, worrying about the the Chris Froome of, you know, I mean, maybe that's like a big titan of a other a tax accounting firm or, you know, or, or did or the other local people as well? I mean, did you, did it bother you at all? Did you just get on with that, with that belief that you'd set and go, right, well, let's just do this and, and they'll worry about themselves. Yeah. So I think, you know, in our profession and, and in, within the South Coast, we've got some great local competitors who are all doing great things in a great way. And I think that's brilliant because I think it keeps you on your, Toes. So I think you might have a slight, in my opinion, one of the reasons I realised we were getting things wrong in 2013-14 is because we started becoming, our directors' meetings, fixated with what our competition were doing. And actually, in the great times when we've been succeeding as a business, we've got an eye on them, because you've got to have an eye, but we've just said, right, we know what we want to do, we know what we want to achieve, we're on this path, and actually that's what we're going to do. And therefore we haven't become fixated with what our competition are doing because we believe in what we're doing and we're getting, you know, great customer feedback and we're winning new work and that's that's what's important to us and we're reaching our goals and our targets and striving to do the things we want to do. So my view is you've got to have an eye on them because actually you know as we do you've got to respect your competition. But I think you've got to 
be passionate about what you do and have the sole focus and belief that if you do what you set out to do, the competition becomes irrelevant. Mm. Does that make me the Chris Froome or the Aroo? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, maybe the Chris Froome. <laughs> well, there's a Peter Sagan one which says, just do what you love doing. That's my only advice. Yeah, so He's a remarkable guy. Yeah, no, I mean, there are, I mean, I just find, I, I find uh, cycling, I, I've never thought about it at all until, I don't know, the guy before Chris Froome who won the um, Tour de France. I can't remember his name with the sideburns. Yes, uh, sorry. Oh, well, well, we'll have an old chap uh, moment here. And I just looked at them and thought, oh my God, these are fierce competitors. They must be some of the hardest people in sport because yeah. they're just lean, sinew, fall over, smash themselves up, get back on the bike. Yeah. You know, they have abuse hurled at them by fans all along. I just thought, God, you've got to be so single-minded. Yeah. And that's a very impressive kind of mindset yeah. you've got to have for that. Definitely. You've got, yeah, I think you've got to have a, a unique personality to exceed in that world. But, you know, to quote one back at you, there's a Garrett Thomas one in his book, which I always relate to business, is he talks about when he won the Tour de France, he knew he only had so many bullets. Right. And he could only fire so many of them before he ran out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. And I think there's an, anal an analogy in that one to business as well, is actually... You've got to realise what have you got in your armoury? Yeah. What can you set out to achieve? And you've got to use every single one of those bullets. But if you run out, yeah, you're going to run out of steam, yeah, and energy. So I, I think there's there's quite a good analogy there from Garrett Thomas actually. Well, uh, we we probably should kind of wrap up, but I I was just interested in in what you were talking about earlier on in terms of I suppose that reflection that you've done, and just the balance of how important it is to try and get the balance right in work and with your life and with your family and just trying to retain some sanity because it feels impossible to set a business up without going a little bit crazy. Mm. It is all in consuming and there is so much to think about. And in a way, did you, did you have the conversation with your family going, I'm just going to be absent for a while now because if I don't be absent, then nothing is going to happen and we're not going to go on a nice holiday or whatever it is we want to do. But how do you remember to check back in and make sure that you okay. haven't gone the wrong way too far? <laughs> not often enough is the short answer to that one. But I'll give, so when I started the business, I, I handed my notice in from that large international firm. McKenna and I had been trying for children, hadn't been happening for whatever reason. And um, we just thought, no, go for it. If we're going to do it, this is the time to do it. So I remember handing my notice in and then spending a, been a couple of months being toured around other offices, talking to partners, them trying to say, look, this is the reason you should become a partner here. And it was a, it was a Wednesday afternoon and I went back into the senior partner's office and I said, look, this is brilliant. I, I love the attention I'm getting given, but deep down, I've got to go scratch the itch. I've got to go and do this. And whatever you say and whatever you do, and whatever reward you want to put forward, I've got to go and do this. And I'm sorry, but it's just in my heart. And that was the Wednesday. On the Saturday, Michaela came down the stairs holding, <laughs> holding that inevitable <laughs> stick and I'm pregnant. <laughs> and I was like, oh, great, great, great. That, and she was like, "That what's this? does this change things? Are you, are you going to stay? And I was like, well, no. <laughs> After the conversation on Wednesday, I'm going. And it's just like serendipity, isn't it? Sometimes in life, some things happen. Because if that had happened two, three weeks before, while I was being kind of courted, I probably would have stayed and I wouldn't have done what I'm doing. But however, so that that's a nice aside to the to, to the answer that is I found it really difficult, if I'm being really honest, to get that right balance and perspective. And there's times, and I've been more conscious of it in the last five or six years. I've got two daughters, Alex and Savannah, 10 and 15. And I think there's times where I haven't been consistent and I haven't been, I call it, you know, I haven't been present in the moment and... There's other times that I've had it in balance and it's felt great. But I think it's really difficult when you're running your own business and you're passionate about what you do and you have to be committed. And, you know, I'll finish this interview and I'll go back in the office and you don't always know what's coming down the line and what you've got to deal with to, to get that balance right. And it's one of the things I still really struggle with. And all I can say is the thing I've learned is actually when you're running a business, you know, it's not a nine to five five days a week job. And therefore you've just got to learn to be present in the moment. And actually as business owners, we do have a bit more flexibility. So 
work out what, what it is you really want to do. What the other things in life that you love, your friends, your family, for me, cycling and those other hobbies and make sure that when you get the opportunity to do them and carve those unusual times out, you can sometimes take an hour out in the day to go and have lunch with your wife. Make sure you do it, but be present in that moment and not be distracted by the phone or the other things that are going on. And I think if business owners can learn to be present, it will make a huge difference to get in that balance. I think that's the beauty of being the business owner because ultimately you can give yourself time off at times when other people yeah. might feel a bit guilty about it. And if you've been spending... Hours and hours, you know, dozens of hours every week over and above the call of duty, then when it comes to giving yourself the morning off to make sure you're at the school play, that's really important. Yes. And just carving those moments out to make sure that you are present. And in a way, you can give yourself permission to do that. Yeah, and you should. I spent years feeling guilty because I suppose I'd come with a little bit of an employee mentality. I should be working nine to five and, you know, I should be working more than that and... And then you realise actually, well, Christ, I've worked you know, seven days a week for the last three months and actually I haven't spent enough time with the people around me loving. And I think that was part of my dissatisfaction in 2014 was actually my girls were growing up. I wasn't really looking after myself, perhaps I should, my health, my fitness. And I had to do something about that as well. Warren, thank you so much for the conversation. We should really stop there. Unfortunately, we could go on for, well, actually maybe carry on afterwards anyway. Yeah, but um, thank you so much. And thank you so much for your honesty and your openness and just for being you know, reflective and, and being very generous kind of with your thoughts and ideas. It's been really lovely to talk to you. Thank you, Anthony. It's been great to be a guest on your podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. There's more information about all of our guests and all the topics they talk about at 10th Degree .co.uk. And also, please do review us. We really want to share the lessons and the advice that's given as widely as possible, and this really helps us to get that message out there. Thanks. 